everyone. Welcome to the second episode of this brand new podcast series, E-Learning Africa, in conversation with. I'm Rob Bember and look forward to bringing you insights, advice and new solutions from digital learning and ICT experts and leading practitioners on the challenges faced by African education and training professionals. This podcast is brought to you by E-Learning Africa, the pan-African network for ICT for education, training and skills development. Africa's home for ideas, innovation, and sustainable solutions for education, training, and skills development since 2005. In this episode of the podcast, I'm in conversation with Ida Opokumensa. The ship has just left. I was frantically trying to get them to finish off. Was it a literal ship? <laughs> it should have been one. I caught up with Ida in the midst of packing up 20 years of her life as she retires from the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa and prepares to make the move from its Addis Ababa headquarters back to her native Ghana. In our conversation, Ida shared her views on the evolution of ICT in Africa over the last 20 years and shares her thoughts on what's to come. She explains why we're going to miss the 2030 SDGs deadline and how COVID has exacerbated our challenges in many of the focal areas. She talks through the factors necessary to successfully create an e-learning and online learning experience. And we talk about digital currencies for the continent, why Africa needs to be ready for crypto, and what's the first thing she checks when she wakes up in the morning. Ida leaves UNECA as its Chief of Staff to the Executive Secretary and Special Advisor on SDGs. Her two decades with the Commission centred around roles within the areas of ICT as well as the Sustainable Development Goals. In her capacity as Director of the ICT Science and Technology Division, she managed the work programme of the Division, harnessing information, science and technology for development, and built constituencies within Africa with academia, CSOs, private sector, governments, youth, women, media, MPs, and collaborated with partners to support programs. She's supported member states' national ICT for D policies and successfully managed the formulation of national ICT for development policies in over 30 countries. While special advisor on SDGs and the focal person for combating illicit financial flows, Ida coordinated and provided strategic advice on SDG activities within the Commission. She led and completed the development of the AU-UN Framework on Implementing Agenda 2063 and the SDGs, which was signed by the UN Secretary-General and the AU Chairperson in 2018. Ida holds a BA Honours in Linguistics and Swahili from the University of Ghana, a Diploma in International Studies from the University of London, a Master of Arts in Communication Policy Studies from the School of Social Sciences at City University London, and a PhD in Political Science and Communication from the School of Politics and International Studies at the University of Leeds. Ida has written extensively on Africa's development, especially in the area of ICTs, science and technology. She received the Geospatial World Leadership Award for making a difference in promoting geospatial technology in Africa and the African Female Diplomat of the Year Award from Ben TV UK at their 2012 Diplomatic Awards. The movies are all done, all out the way, the ship has sailed. 
Yeah, the ship is sailing. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Were you were you doing all the packing yourself? Did you have a bit of help? I had a bit of help. I did most of it myself because you see, you have to sort out things you need and things you don't need, and so things you want to give away. So the, you have to do it more or less yourself. Uh, but I did have yeah. help, and then the shippers came in and packed what I wanted them to pack. Great. How, how many years were you packing up? 20. Oh, man. Yeah, that was painful. I'm sure yeah. of it. So maybe as a starting point, you're retiring from this position. Are you retiring from work altogether? Have you decided that yet? You're taking a, a, a bit of a mental break. You're shaking your head. So no, you're, you're retiring from your current position. I'm retiring from my current position, but and, and yes, I will take a mental break. But before uh, our meeting, I was in another meeting about uh, with an, a, a former colleague about publishing a book. So, <laughs> so immediately, all the all, you know everything is kicking in, and let's do this and let's do that. Now that you have time, so I know that that's going to be the my life going forward. But it's nice to be able to choose, pick and choose what you want to do. Yeah, and I don't know whether you're at liberty to say just yet, but the content of the book, is it, a, is it a book about your experience or is it more specific content? There are two books. One, I'm going to be writing a book on, on the whole information uh, society revolution in, in Africa and the role that I played within the UN on that. So that's one book, which is kind of a of an autobiographical uh look at that and then the second book is uh, with a colleague that we again when i worked in the u.n i collaborated on on writing several books on technology and icts and this time we're looking at the virtual economy uh as a result of I icts so we're definitely going to pick up on both of those. Let's start with <laughs> let's start with the first book in, in in scare quotes. Looking back at the IT revolution, looking back at the last two decades, how would you sum up the evolution and how the the continent has transformed? And again, we use that word transform, uh, however you see fit, uh, or moved along the spectrum. How would you? sum up the last 20 years in terms of progress it's it's been the whole evolution of icts in africa has been in fits and starts you know uh there were some countries on the continent that or some leaders i must say who saw or who had that vision uh who were visionary in what they recognize that ICTs could do uh, for society, for economy. And so there was, there was, there's that group and I would, and I must say they're very, it's a very small group of countries. And then there are others who are kind of, yeah, 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 uh, giving platitudes and we'll do this, we'll do that, but then didn't put enough investments into the deployment of ICTs and for it to fulfill its full promise. And I know this and uh, because we, 
worked, uh, me and my team at the UN Economic Commission for Africa, we worked on national ICT policies. And we knew the countries that had these policies and plans in place. But we also knew that they, beyond that, they, there wasn't much movement, it, you know, because you need to move a policy from, 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 from its uh, philosophical and intentional uh, purposes to, 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 to reality. And, and that, unfortunately, did not happen in a, in a number of countries, even though they wanted these policies. Um, because, you know, once you put a, such a plan in place, you have to back it up with resources. And that didn't happen, with the exception of a few countries like Rwanda, to some extent, uh, uh, Ghana. So that is the summary. Now, if I was to fast forward it to now, having a continent that were uh, focusing or supposed to be focusing on putting in place policies, e-policies and plans uh, in order to launch ICTs in society and, and in the economy. Fast forward to 2020 and the pandemic, and then kind of hit every country in its face. And then suddenly ICTs became a, a very important vehicle. And so it will be interesting. It will be interesting to see those countries that you know uh, that had policies. You 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 will see. Um, and certainly, I kind of did a quick assessment of of Rwanda, and they had a policy, and they had had several policies. Their policies were within five year fra uh, frames, and there were certain deliverables that they had to achieve. And all of that, all of that help that kind of country to get back on its feet in a virtual world. Other countries that didn't really take the policy-making aspects of ICT seriously, I think they struggled. They struggled because once you close down schools and uh, the internet is not as pervasive in your society as it should be and it could be, then you're in trouble. Be, you know, because schools, you won't, you won't be able to move into a virtual classroom. Some were innovative, and Ghana, I must say, did that, where they then resorted to old traditional technology methods, such as TV and radio. So this kind of, you know, you, you, had, this, you had this process, and I must say, at the beginning when we started, it was difficult. When you had African policymakers tell you, this is a luxury, and I'm saying this to juxtaposition the current situation, where you had African policymakers tell you, uh, ICTs is a luxury we can't afford. We need water, we need roads, we need uh, medicines. And I would love to go back to those policymakers and say, well, what say you now? <laughs> Was it a, a lack of foresight, a lack of vision, or was it simply a, by their account, a mathematical calculation that we just don't have the resources, but as you say, surely now looking back, going, well, ICT should have been embedded in all of those issues that you were having to start with, your water troubles and your, your, your medical issues and transportation thereof. So what was that main stumbling block, just pure stubbornness? I had always, based on my 
experience and now that I don't work for the UN anymore, but one of the challenges that I found or one of the, one of the realizations I came to is that African policymakers were not sufficiently technologically savvy. It wasn't, you know, and I don't know why, but with the exception of a few policymakers from a few countries uh, in Africa, by and large, you know, and if you remove the ICT ministers in some of these countries, by and large, African um, policymakers were not technologically savvy. And I'm not sure whether it was the orientation of, of their governments or not. But clearly, if you, if you have a health minister tell you, my priority is medicines and not technology, then there's something wrong. Or you have a minister you know, of education tell you that, oh, no, 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 um, e-learning is too advanced for us. Then there's something wrong. And, and I constantly kind of got that. And even where you kind of did a great deal of awareness and advocacy around these issues to them, their response was, yeah, 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 we're getting it or I'm getting it, but I don't quite know what to do. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's a bit of the visionary aspect from the top, because I'll tell you when ECA put in place a national ICT strategy for Rwanda, President Kagame had a retreat with his cabinet on the policy document to discuss the policy and how it impacted and all the line ministries that the cabinet members put, were holding. And then uh, charged them to say, well, based on this national policy, each ministry should derive their own policy or their own strategy from this policy in which they will implement. And it takes that kind of visionary leadership to be able to get ministers to see that, oh my God, even if you are in that cabinet retreat and you don't even understand and you don't even believe, oh, well, what is it gonna do for me? It, at least there's that pressure for you to find out what you, it can do for your ministry. In many other countries, it didn't quite go that way. It just was, well, there's the ICT policy, let's implement it and, and that was it, even though, Later versions of the of the policy, we did look at ICTs in education, ICTs in health, ICTs in 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 security, and all of those things. But that kind of approach wasn't quite there. And and I and I can assure you, it's because this kind of directive did not come from the top. Can you speak from a, your own personal experience how this became your niche, your area and your body of work? And you can certainly push back as much as you, you feel you need to, but as a Black African woman, as well, looking at the space and the continent that we both call home, you stand out. All that, that you have achieved and that you're able to retire from this particular position after so many years, what was it at... And at what stage that made you realize this is a key part of our future that we should be pumping so much energy and resources into? 
from my own personal experience, I'll give you two, two examples. I was based in London working for an international NGO called Panos Institute. And the mandate of Panos was information for development based on the premise that a lot of steps are missed without key information, either for policymakers or either for donors and all of that. So ensuring that information becomes a catalytic ingredient in the development process was what Panos was all about. And so I worked in Panos and was the regional director for Southern, Eastern Southern Africa, working on information for development uh, activities in countries within Eastern and Southern Africa. And when you talk about information for development, you also, the media becomes key. And it, this was at the time when African media were, were not so free. There were countries that had not opened up their media. And therefore, a, a lot of what I did was to sensitize and train journalists on, on the importance of reporting development and on the importance of, of giving um, development information, on the importance of them understanding the whole concept of information for development. And it was a unique kind of work. And along that, I took time off to do a master's uh, as a result of this work. I took time off to do a master's in communication policy. And I, and I, I did it over, over two years, a, a part-time master's program. And simply because I was interested in taking that dimension of the information for development work further. So I did a master's in communication policy at uh, London City University. And one of the things that fascinated me about this course when I was doing it was it was at the cusp of a deregulation of telecoms in the, in the industrialized world in America, AT&T, in, in the UK, BT, and all of what the regulatory processes of deregulating telecoms meant. And part of the course was also looking at how deregulation of telecoms spurred the economy in different ways. And then, the other aspect was the technological aspects of deregulation and that with deregulation, much more innovation would happen as a result of that. And, and it did. Uh, that, 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 and this was like well, in the mid 80s and, and, and it did because I saw immediately, I mean, then I, we started learning about voice over IP. These are very kind of ancient terminologies now, but in those days, it was coming. As a result of de deregulation, there, there were all these technological innovations that is going to be happening, which is going to revolutionize in the way information and communication is dealt with. And, and that, for me, was the grab. That, for me, grabbed my attention, my imagination to no end. And to the extent that my master's uh, thesis was on deregulating telecoms in Zambia, because I had an information for development project that I was doing in Zambia, and I was visiting Zambia a lot. 
So I kind of said, oh, well, piggy banked on that and said, okay, whilst I'm do there doing my work, I can also conduct interviews for my, my, my master, uh, for my thesis. And that propelled me to look at what was possible, what was coming, and lo and behold, it came. And another one of your keen areas of interest and certainly as it relates to your work are the SDGs. And we look at we're into the what should be the final decade of achieving those goals by 2030 and, and looking at them within the context of Agenda 2063. Fairly simply, are we going to meet that deadline? No, we're not. And COVID is one big factor. And how far off are we? What's your biggest concern as it relates to SDGs? Which ones in particular are you most concerned about? Or are they that intertwined that we really can't separate them? Well, yeah, in, in some cases, they're all intertwined and we can't separate them. I think that, however, let me take one or two of the, of the goals. I think that COVID came and exacerbated issues of hunger, which is SDG 1 exacerbated SDG2, which is poverty. And I think health will be impacted as well. I think the whole issue of gender women will also be impacted because women have been disproportionately affected by COVID, both in terms of their own vulnerability to COVID, as well as having to deal with households where COVID has struck. So, uh, you know, and I think from now on going forward, we cannot talk about achieving the SDGs without addressing what specifically is being done in a post-COVID world in each and every one of those uh, SDGs. For instance, if you're able to address poverty, then hopefully you can put in place things that help you to address hunger. And uh, you can also put in place things that help you to address gender equality, address health. So, you know, you have that kind of, there is that kind of interconnectedness there. And I think that COVID has thrown up the challenge to many countries as to how they're going to be able to address the SDGs, but in a, in a different way um, to where they were addressing it in 2019, for instance. You cannot divorce that, this, the pandemic and the achievement of, of the SDGs. And so pick up on, on SDG 4, looking at education and the equality and inclusive nature thereof. You had mentioned a while ago how some of these, a lot of these countries on the continent struggle to pivot because they weren't adequately set up. And you spoke mm -hmm. of resorting to older means of television and, and radio. It's hard to say at this point, and I've seen quite a lot educational psychologists and other policymakers talking about the potential loss and impact of children at really acute developmental stages who would mm -hmm. now possibly for a generation be even more lost than they would have been had COVID not, not come around. Is all hope lost? How do we pick that up? How do we accelerate those ICT needs and resources to make sure we don't add more numbers to, to more lost generations? Well, yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that's been very clear 
with uh, the pandemic is that is the centrality of ICTs in our everyday life now. It's not just that we're looking at education or we're looking at health. I mean, the centrality of ICTs has become quite important. Now, one of the things that I worry about is that governments rush to kind of make makeshift arrangements for the use of ICTs in education. They rushed to kind of introduce education, education through radio and television. But we also know and recognize that there is, uh, uh, you know, for you to be able to successfully uh, create an e-learning and online uh, learning experience, there are several factors that you need to look into. The first is that, is your curriculum, uh, uh, can, it be, can it be adapted to online learning? Um, what are the certification processes uh, to do that? Um, whether it's the Ministry of Education, what, you know, I would have expected that if I was a head of state of an African country and given what happened with COVID and education, I would set up, a, I would ensure that there is a unit that's set up within the Ministry of Education that really is looking at the whole online learning process and how you kind of hive off face-to-face -face learning and you put it in, into, a virtual, into a virtual learning program. That's one. The second is, is that um, we still have internet inequalities in many African countries. You have cities which are, have fairly decent uh, internet, which with uh, where uh, middle, middle income, middle class families can have access to. You move out of the city of the rich suburbs into, into slums. Now, I don't think that they would have access to internet. However, we in Africa have one thing that's going for us technologically, which is mobile. And so if you are a ministry and you're contemplating online learning or e-learning, then how does mobile become the tool that you use? And what, would that, what does that require in terms of formatting educational materials and the delivery of education uh, via mobile technology? So that's another, another set of things to think about. Are your teachers adequately trained and prepared to deliver curriculum in, in that mode. And again, what does it take? Because teacher training has to accommodate all these elements. And then as I had begun with certification and all of that, how do you now, because then the whole ethos or the there's a paradigm shift in how education is delivered. And what does that take and what does that mean? And I'm not sure many African countries have had the chance to look at, to, 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 to examine that. Are we teaching the right stuff? We often struggle between what is necessary for the now and lacking going back to that vision uh, we were talking about earlier, as far as our leaders go, 
are we teaching the right stuff for the future? Are we thinking far enough ahead when we look at curricula and, and what goes into it? No, we're not. We're not. Look, one of the things even before COVID that worried me was this whole advent of the fourth industrial revolution. And the fourth industrial revolution was going, is going to change how we work and how we play and how we learn and all of that. But more than that, it was a game changer in where the evolution of the information society had reached, which is, which is that, you know, it, it's pivoting us into an era, an era where if you don't have digital skills, you're screwed. And because, you know, and, and the basis for the fourth industrial revolution was a technologically savvy and prepared workforce uh, with technical skills, but not just technical skills, but digital skills, skills uh, that uh, require problem solving, analysis within the context of a digital era. Or, or should I say, in, within the context of an advanced digital era. And what worried me for Africa was that nobody was really thinking about that. And, and as a result of that, uh, of the fourth industrial revolution, you're gonna have a situation where certain jobs won't exist any longer. And what does that mean? And if I was a policymaker in Africa, I'll be thinking about that because now is the time, then that gives you the basis to be looking ahead and thinking, my God, what are the skills that will prepare Africa or African countries and their, and their populations to be prepared for this new, new dimension of, 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 of technological advancement? And I just felt that that should be the starting point where you'll be examining curricula because that requires that you have to overhaul your curricula and look at introducing certain courses that lays the foundation educationally for your population. And that and I don't you, think was happening. You spoke earlier about at the time during your studies and, and during your master's, uh, research looking at you know voice over IP which was just it, it was coming it has now come looking and ahead gone. and gone and gone and gone <laughs> it's come and it's gone uh, look, looking ahead what do you see coming looking ahead I see you sitting in your in your office in Cape Town and, uh, and, and using your Apple Watch to turn on the lights in your house. That's what's well, coming. We, and we, it's already we, here. It's already here. Mm -hmm. We need to rely on the South African government to keep the lights on for any of that scenario <laughs> to work. So. <laughs> I want to talk about the, I think it was the, the, the second book, if, if the books are indeed ordered and, and your work with uh, illicit um, currency flows and looking at uh, financial transactions 
on the continent, we've got very low penetration rates as far as, as that is concerned. And again, all of that linked to connectivity issues and, and data ties in quite nicely to the to the looking ahead. I was look, reading a piece by Michael Jordan, who I don't know if you're familiar with, he's the former CEO of First National Bank in South Africa and is now a venture capitalist. And he was writing a piece of essentially using blockchain and creating an African currency. And he had, he had written a the piece- cryptocurrency. A crypto cryptocurrency specific, an African coin, and written the piece and said, you know, don't laugh at me, but I think this is what may just solve our troubles in the in the years to come. A unified Africa with a unified yeah. currency in excess of forty different currencies across the continent alone. Uh, Intra-African trade being some of the lowest in the world as far as uh, regional trading blocks and areas are concerned. Taking advantage of technology and what's available to us, looking ahead, what should we be building towards? Yeah, it is It is a very difficult subject area. And again, it is difficult because I'm putting myself 20 years back when we was introducing the whole concept of ICT for D and you had people that could make it happen, not believing in it and saying, no, 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 we're not ready for that yet. We're at this stage, the same stage with digital currencies, where there is very little awareness, um, particularly um, in our financial and monetary institutions, they're still very much stuck in their, in their old ways. And therefore, what is typical is that um, they're, not, they're not looking beyond the, 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 the frameworks that they operate in, which is very conservative and stayed and, and handed over from colonial times, and they've kind of tweaked it around. Digital currency is now the new, oh, well, but we need it in Africa. And you hear that a lot, that we are not prepared enough. And I want to ask the question. I know, for instance, I, uh, I have been talking to people about an African coin, uh, the equivalent of the, uh, an African Bitcoin. And I was talking to some colleagues about that. And I kid you not, the first reaction I got from that person was that, Oh, um, it, it's, it's very destructive to the environment. It's too energy intensive. So that's one, one reaction. The next reaction was that, is Africa really ready for this? Will it work? So when it comes to technology and how technology can propel Africa, I, throughout my career, I keep getting these kinds of doubting Thomases. And, and, and it saddens me because I would have thought that, and that was the question I was asking before I went into this, that our central government, central banks, our central banks looking into digital currency and how it can, it can work for them and the economies that they manage. That for me is the question. And I'll tell you no. The last time I had a meeting, I had a consortium because I'm, I'm setting up a, a digital company. That's part of the things that thing that I'll be working on. And the person that I was working, talking to, I said, we need to think about a coin, a, an African coin. 
And the person said, yeah, but I don't know because you know the Central Bank of Nigeria has banned cryptocurrencies. So for me, what is missing is the advocacy that is required to, to, to move governments to, to begin to acknowledge, not to acknowledge, but to realize that they can use this currencies to their advantage. The other thing that also I found disconcerting when I spoke to one policymaker was that, oh, well, even the United States are not very happy with crypto. They, they, the government, the federal government might be making some, un, uh, you know, unfriendly noises, but by, by heck, it's made millionaires out of people. I trade in cryptocurrency. And I wake up, the first thing I do is I go and check how my 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 coins are doing so anyway <laughs> i think that it is something that needs to be considered and this is my god honest opinion that there will come a crunch as we've come across a crunch with the pandemic where having a digital currency is going to be critical is going to be critical is that part of the solution to, to combating those illicit financial flows? Yeah, it is. I tell you why, because the illicit financial flows that leaves Africa is also as a result of the fact that Africa is not technologically sophisticated. And therefore the flows that are going. Uh, for instance, there, someone was telling me the other day that one of the disadvantages of, 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 of blockchain and, and crypto is that people will begin to turn the, the monies into cryptos and that's how the flows will leave Africa. And that's, that's, that, that's possible. And that's possible. And if Africa says it's not ready for crypto, then you're, it means that it's going to be robbed of its resources even at another level. And I think that Africa should be ready for anything and should be ready for anything that is a phenomenon that is happening. Because what happens is that it becomes, it then becomes a phenomenon that is used to rip Africa of its assets. And believe you me, there have been a lot of the things that you hear about crypto in Africa. Uh, you hear of what the Russians are doing, you hear of what uh, other, uh, you know, money laundering and it's turning into crypto. So if we don't become proactive in getting a digital currency, Somebody will come and create a digital currency for themselves, and then we will all be using it to better an outsider. Who leads this? The AU? <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if if I think if the if the the program in UNECA had been allowed to stand, perhaps it would have evolved into some of these things. The gigantic task of completing digital transformation on the, on the continent. Where do we start? What path are we continuing on? How do we ensure access for all? 
Well, you ensure access for all when you've put the, the infrastructure in place. And so if infrastructure continues to be, ICT infrastructure continues to be uh, a problem. I know that some countries were putting in place broadband backbones, which would be the digital backbone for, for rollout of ICTs. I haven't um, been tracking how far that has gone. But you see, you cannot talk about access when you don't, you, you, you know, when you have a, you, you, you don't have the infrastructure that is out there, that is, that, that is laid out. Because once you have the access, then you are able to determine the kind of costs and rates that you're going to charge and whether uh, cities will have to pay will have to pay in rates that subsidize access for rural areas or vulnerable groups and if they're vulnerable groups and what does access mean for them and all of that i mean uh, right now the, the the access to to icts is so skewed and quite frankly that makes this is what makes um, ict uh, prices in africa quite uh, far more costly than anywhere else in the world and it's because you cannot start talking about ict for all or access for all when you don't have the infrastructure to support that so for me that that's critical and we do so whilst being concerned should we be concerned about where that funding comes from and neo-colonial tendencies absolutely Absolutely. But you see, this goes back to the point I made that we are not blessed on this continent to have forward looking, visionary thinking technocrats, you know, techno technological technocrats who, when you compare it to maybe some countries in Asia, where for them, technology was the means to an end and it became very central to, to their develop, development paradigm. We still are not quite there with that ICT as a centerpiece of our development paradigm. And so we don't, we kind of tinker around the edges. We kind of introduce this here and there. But if you do not think ahead and say, just as you need roads, and Biden said it recently, just as you need roads, just as you need bridges, you also need broadband, right? Pete uh, Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, yes. Indiana. Is yes, now the, the, the Secretary of Transport, yeah. Secretary of Transport who said, uh, bro on Fox News no less, had said broadband is infrastructure. It is. It yeah. is. It is. And so if we're not, if you don't think about that, and if you haven't, you are having the Republicans fighting this, then think of Africa. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. What we all need is really boring, bland technocrats leading us. So I've got some uh, yeah. very quick, you know, whatever comes to mind, immediate answer kind of questions to wrap it out here. Do you know how many how many African countries have you visited? Have you kept count? No. 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 I, I imagine dozens. At least forty. At least forty. It's a it's a good number. Could you pick? <laughs> could you pick a favorite? 
Oh, wow. No, I think they all have different meanings to me. One thing people should know about the continent. It is diverse. It is diverse. Our customs, our culture has, uh, there, there are some uh, uh, lines running through, through it from north to south, from Cape to Cairo, in terms of our customs and, uh, 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 and culture, but it is diverse. It is not a country as some people mistakenly think. What is Africa's best kept secret? It's people. What's your favorite innovation from the last two decades? Hmm. Well, I think the, the, the innovation for me has been the mobile revolution, which has helped us leapfrog. That's one innovation. I'm also uh, happy to know that, the, you know, there are a number of innovations, some of them like M Pharma, which is a medical, uh, a mobile medical tracking device. Uh, so, but there are a number of innovations. I create, co-created the Innovation Prize for Africa, and I saw the plethora of innovations that Africans were doing. And therefore, in a sense, I can't just take one out. The fact that innovation is happening in Africa at all, given the, 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 the challenges, for me, is one of the biggest innovations. What are you most optimistic about the continent? Uh, I'm optimistic that the future, the youth of this continent will make a difference. So it doesn't sound like you're retiring, which is a good thing because we, 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 <laughs> we, we, we cannot lose the brain power. You're writing the two books. You, you kind of uh, threw away as an aside that you're starting a digital company. Are you able to share a bit more on, on what that is and what the plan is? Oh, well, the, the digital company is going to be looking at three things. The first, which we started on, is looking at creating apps for, it, it, you know, it's a kind of a luxury app for, for Ghana. We're starting in Ghana to support, it's actually a delivery, uh, food delivery app, you know, with COVID and all of that. So that's one. And, and several other things are in the pipeline. But it, I think out of that, it's the most advanced. Um, the other is also um, going into 3D printing. Do yeah. you have plans to kick your feet up even just for five, for five <laughs> minutes? <laughs> I'll, I'll do that after this interview. I'll put my feet up. Many thanks to Ida for her time and thanks to you too for listening. If you've enjoyed our time together, please rate and subscribe to the podcast and share it widely. For more information on the courses, webinars and virtual events that eLearning Africa has available, please visit elearning-africa.com.